Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 72 and I'm very, very happy to have you here. Thank you. (laughs) I'm very happy to have our listeners here for what is the second 70... What? The 72nd episode Mm -hmm. where you interview none other than... Juanita. This is another listener chat, actually, which is... Really exciting to me. Uh, Juanita sent me an email last week, the week before, and offered her story as a you know as a listener chat. And I have a lot of people who have emailed me recently and contacted me via Facebook. And I am going to get back to you all, and I'd love <laughs> to listen to all of your stories. Yeah. Uh, but Juanita is in Sydney, and her story was quite similar to mine in a lot of ways. And she was keen to chat and I was keen to listen. So we, we put our heads together and aside from a few tech issues, which <laughs> the life of a podcaster. Which do not come out in the edit of this program. <laughs> oh, no. We're far too professional. Far too professional for far, that. Far too professional. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just a wonderful chat. I, I think people are, are quite enjoying these listener chats because they get an insight into, you know, how... Like for want of a better word, yeah. regular people, not people who write about slow living. Non-bloggers, really. <laughs> Non-bloggers. Bloggers. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, and also people who don't necessarily have the time to sit down and really clearly articulate their thoughts on, on something yeah. like this. Like they're just doing it because they have the, the time constraints that mean that they can't sit down and, and write about it. and. Mm you know, articulate their thoughts on it. They just they just find strategies and they put them in place. And, and that's what I really enjoyed about talking with Juanita. She shares quite a lot of how she initially came to Slow Living, which was quite begrudgingly, and then how it, it shifted over time and, and she's really embraced it. And we talk a bit about what that looks like and, and why she found parts of it easier than some people do and why she finds other parts more difficult. More difficult, yeah. And she also asked me a few questions, which was quite nice, like a real mm. change. I don't get asked that many questions except by you. So, uh, it was it was lovely, actually. There's a few things that she's still challenged by, as we all are, and um, yeah, it was nice to kind of dig into those and I, I don't have the answers. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, but you know, yeah, I, I actually won't go into into what it is that she was uh, she was asking about because I thought it was quite an interesting part of the conversation. We don't have a child. What do you want, Cash? You going to say something? What are you going to say? Okay, <laughs> that's enough from you. <laughs> that's our podcasting dog. So, if listeners want to find out more about your chat uh i mean just uh, look there's Juanita doesn't have a blog she actually doesn't do facebook or social media or anything um, it's outrageous how it's fabulous yeah. she um does mention though some book books that she's read and yeah. uh you know the few things resources that we talk about so i will include a link to them in the show notes which as always are at slowyourhome.com slash 72 for Episode this week 72 we hope you enjoy the show cash Well said. For a dog.
Peter. How are you? I'm well, Brooke. Yourself? Very, very well. Thank you so much for for talking to me and for you know sending me your email and and volunteering to be uh, in one of our listener chats. I really appreciate you giving up your time and sharing a bit of your story. Thank you. Thank you. you know, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me, t- me too. I mean, I read your email and a lot of it resonated significantly with me. Uh, I feel like we've had similar experiences in a lot of ways. But one of, I think one of the reasons that people really enjoy these these listener conversations is because specifically because, you know, I'm, I'm not talking to people who are blogging or writing books about slowing down. You know, they're people who are just battling through the same realities that so many of us are, you know, balancing work and family and life and slowing down and making time for all these things. So I'm really looking forward to digging into your story and, and what you've got to share with us. So Excellent. just briefly, um, you know, just a little introduction to yourself and your family. You know, where do you live and, and who do you live with? Well, um, my name's Juanita and we live in Sydney. We've been here for the past dozen years and I've been with my husband for 13 years, Andrew. And we've got two children, a five-year-old daughter and a 15-month-old son. So, yeah, life is <laughs> fairly busy with those two people around. You're, you're in the thick of it, aren't you, at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, to jump pretty much straight in, in your email, you mentioned that in your past, you'd been running at 150%, just doing life at 150%, and you were proud of it. But mm. then everything kind of ground to a halt a while back. Can you tell me a bit about that and what that looked like for you? Yeah, not long after my son was born, he was probably about four months old, and um, I got really sick. And basically, with I went to the doctor this particular day because I'd gone numb and like went down one side of my face and one arm. And they sent me for a CT scan and were like, "Well, no, your brain's fine, but you don't seem well at all." And a week later, I went back and they ran some bloods and it turned out I had glandular fever, which as one of my dear friends described at the time, wow, darling, that's delightfully retro, isn't it? (laughs) And and I was like, yes, you're not meant to get it when you're 37 with a newborn baby. You're meant to get it when you're 17 and doing your HSC. So, uh, and I had another virus as well. And basically just the combo of having only recently had a wee babe, it was it floored me completely, and so my GP, who was lovely, gave me this, the advice. She said, "Look, you just need to rest," which was um, <laughs> it's been a bit of a challenge actually. And uh, so I went to see a naturopath, and she just basically said to me, "Yeah, you do need to rest, or you're at risk of getting chronic fatigue because mm. we don't know what causes it, but a lot of people that have glandular fever end up with it." So she said, you have to work really hard on doing as little as possible. And she kind of got my number pretty quickly. And she's like, so that doesn't mean keeping the house spotless. And I just felt like she jumped inside my brain. And, um, you know, she said, and and doing everything just the way you've been used to doing it. So I had a girlfriend who had had chronic fatigue and she didn't have any children at the time. And she just turned to me and she's like, you don't want that you're going to do as you're told. So (laughs) that was kind of the start of me having to go, all right, I might have to do this. Isn't it tough though when when someone does kind of pick you and they pick your personality pretty quickly 
And there's, you know, I, I went through something similar last year. I ended up with a terrible flu for months and had pneumonia and stuff. And my, my doctor said, so you're on bed rest. And <laughs> she said, I'm not just talking about, you know, sitting down on the lounge and watching a movie and then going and cleaning. She's like, I mean, you rest in bed, <laughs> you don't get up. And she, I mean, she had me pegged immediately too, because it's, it's kind of difficult really, isn't it? To let go of those you know, those expectations that we have of ourselves as people who just cope and we get on with things and we get all these things done during the day. And, you know, it's it's um, sometimes a rude wake up, isn't it, when we, we kind of have to just stop. Oh, completely. And, you know, in my world, average and slow were dirty words. Yeah. You know, why would you want to be either of those? Yeah. So it was really challenging. That's really interesting that you say that slow is a dirty word. Uh, yeah, and, and, and it is. I mean, in so many people's minds still, and in mine it used to be as well. Slow. Why would you want to be slow? You know, slow is, slow is boring, slow is dull, slow is mediocre. You don't want to be any of those things. Yeah, no, I didn't. Definitely not at all. And have so, you changed your perspective on that? Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, basically, I... I didn't actually know that slow living existed until January of this year. So this was last winter that I got sick and I just kind of worked at trying to slow things down. I had to. Mm. And um, basically, you know, the steps that I took were I just had to let go of, you know, having things clean and shiny and spotless. I mean, they weren't completely spotless. I have children. (laughs) (laughs) There were some standards. (laughs) And um, as my girlfriend said to me many years ago, you take the standards you had before you had children and then you you break them in half and then you have another child and you break them in half again and then you actually take out those standards and you stomp on them and that's pretty much what you're left with. <laughs> and so I just – I basically had to let the dust bunnies, you know, the, the balls of dust just kind of breed in the corner of the lounge and um, and appreciate that, you know, we had extra little friends living in the corner there with us. And uh, when the big thing was when my son slept and my daughter was in preschool, I had to sit down. And I didn't really have the energy to not sit down for a start off. And I guess the hard part was as I started feeling like I had more energy, not allowing myself to go back to the way I had been because I knew that my body just, if I had a day where I was feeling quite good, I'd be like, great, and so I'd bake some biscuits and I'd do this and I'd tidy up and then the next day or two or three days I'd be absolutely flattened. So it was a little bit of learning the hard way. Mm. And also I guess learning to let go of the expectations that we have of ourselves and like you say, dropping those standards a little and mm. recognizing what is important, which, you know, we all have our priorities. And then mm. the other things just need to, to to sort of be stripped away. And, uh, I mean, I feel like that's partly growing up and, and, you know, adulting is, is figuring out what the, the priorities in life are and letting other things drop. But, uh, you know, well, in my instance, anyway, if I didn't do that, I would be just a raving, lunatic because I would have just you know worked myself into a corner but yeah uh, yeah I think that's something else that I resonated a lot with in your story was this having to renegotiate our expectations of what we are capable of doing Mm. we're not capable capability has nothing to do with it I think it's it's what there is 
you know, fair time for and fair energy for and then just letting the others the others fall by the wayside. Yeah, and I think that was a big thing for me was not feeling capable mm. of going, well, here's what I consider a bare minimum and I'm not even able to do that. So for me it was, you know, they said to, to rest and I found just resting, like lying there, trying to sleep when Sebastian slept was just too hard. Mm. And uh, so I thought, no, I need to do something. And, you know, I wasn't quite ready to just be, I needed to be doing. And so I decided to just work on a couple of little creative projects. And so that was really good. And that just, you know, they were easy, pick down, put down, pick up kind of, um, you know, making kind of crafting projects that I could do <clears throat> that gave, that fed my need to be productive in a day. And, um, but also I had to really go, well, you're doing this for you. You're doing it to to enrich yourself. And this is healing your body because mm. you're not racing around, but it's also giving your mind something to do. I am. Um, I love that, that you sort of, you, you understood enough of yourself to, to say, I can't just lay here and, and sleep mm. or try and sleep, but I do absolutely need, I need to rest. I need to slow down. I need to stop. So I think that's wonderful, actually. And I think um, that I probably would have benefited from something like that back in the day, too. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that really helped and was um, on days where my mind was really speedy and getting frustrated and, and, you know, I started to feel really stressed about, well, how am I going to do next week when I've got to do this and this mm. as well? And that kind of thing was um, <laughs> actually Netflix. <laughs> Which sounds terrible, but it was just absorbing myself in a in a series and going, okay, it made me sit there on the lounge when I would normally be doing other things. It made my body rest and it gave me something totally mm. something else to concentrate on. So that was actually really good as well. And I think they're really great coping mechanisms for someone like yourself who doesn't, you don't want to sit there and do nothing. You know, you no. want to be up and doing things, but you understand that if you do that, then you will be crushed for a few days. Mm. Yeah, I think those coping mechanisms are really clever. Um, I think so. Oh, sorry. No, 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 you go ahead. But I think too, like as a mum, you know when you've got little kids that it's business hours between sort of 4.30 and 7.30 mm-hmm. when other people can go home and put their feet up and just leisurely get their dinner sorted. Like you're really, you're working hard, you've got tired kids, you're trying to get a meal on the table, tidy up cleans children like it's really that is the most demanding time of the day so I think it was that kind of you know rest before the sprint as well because that part it doesn't matter how much you try to slow it down I'm not there yet I can't (laughs) seem to make that (laughs) I can't seem to make you know between 4 30 and 7 30 just a zen beautiful calm everybody's in a happy mood time of the day that just doesn't roll no I mean look that would that would be lovely and I'm like maybe I've had days like oh yeah they do exist they do but not not in a row no (laughs) my sister used to call it arsenic hour Uh, I call it bbb bed bath and bullshit (laughs) (laughs) you might have to edit that part out no (laughs) no I like I like that a lot Okay, yeah. so I mean, you you're getting sick and and having to force yourself to slow down. That was sort of the catalyst for you, wasn't it? To then 
make a big change in the way that you were living? Uh, well, yeah. not not necessarily one big change, but just a, a series of changes into living a slower, sort of simpler life. So once you started to feel better, genuinely feel better, what did you start to change? Uh, well, this is where it gets a little bit interesting <clears throat> because we got to sort of November and we were due to move. And we'd been in a two-bedroom apartment near the city and we wanted more space and a lease fell through, which was just one of those moments that you go, thank you, that's just brilliant. Because um, I turned to my husband and I'm not normally the one that initiates change, but, you know, I'd had a fairly interesting year. And I turned to him and said, uh, we'd often talked about just putting our things in storage and using some of our savings to go on a bit of an adventure. And I suggested that to him and He's quite surprised because it's not normally something I would have suggested and, you know, I'd been quite crook. <clears throat> and so three weeks later, he was able to wrap up his work for the year pretty much. He bought some on the road with us. We packed everything into the car and hit the road and we actually went on – all our stuff went into storage and we went on a road trip for seven weeks. And oh, wow. Down to Tasmania and spent some time in Melbourne and in rural northeast Victoria. And uh, our families were really supportive, um, even though I think, you know, they had their concerns as to how it would be with me having been so ill. But we just felt like we needed that time to all reconnect and we needed some good food. We're both looking a bit stressed and scrawny. And and just that time as a family of four to appreciate each other because it had been really, really stressful and really hard. I mean, and it is even when you you're just you've got young children. That in and of itself can be really fracturing, you know, in terms mm. of the time that you get to spend together and the quality totally. of that time. Uh, but then add into that the fact that you'd been so unwell, you know. Yeah. Of course, it's. I think that's such a beautiful way to to reconnect, you know, and the fact that it fell into your lap and you were willing to say, hey, how about this for a while was, you know, it's indicative of the fact that you were also ready to change and you were aware of what you needed and what your family needed. So, yeah, I mean, that or we were a bit nuts. But. <laughs> that might actually be the same thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, look, I think some of our friends thought it was really a bit nuts, but um, they were all doing their best to be very supportive, which we appreciated. But I think, I mean, look, it may look nuts to other people to make a big shift like that, but, mm. I mean, you're you're not going to make a decision that is purposefully, you know, a disadvantage for yourself or your family. You're going to do something that you feel like you need to do. So from the outside, it might look crazy, but you guys obviously had your reasons. Mm. And you did you find that those seven weeks, so they restored you, you felt – healthier and happier when you came back or yeah definitely definitely it was it was great for our relationships Mm. it was great for um just some I mean Tassie is just food heaven so that was amazing it was also really good to just because we left on the 4th of December so it just we just got out of a whole lot of extra things that probably with having felt a lot better I would have felt obligated to go to and, and all of that sort of thing. So it was selfishly, it was quite nice to just have ourselves to ourselves and uh, and not have to be here or there. Yeah. I mean, that December, January period is so hectic as well. Yeah. So to be able to skip out on some of that, particularly mm. as you were just recovering, would have been a really nice yeah. thing to be able to do. It was great. And look, I thought, I didn't imagine it would be easy. And there were times where it definitely wasn't. But 
it's one of those things that we're really proud that we did it mm. because it was I just thought about it and when before we left I thought oh how will this go what if I'm really tired and we planned it so that we wouldn't be moving quickly you know I guess the slow travel concept I didn't know that was a concept either but that's what we were doing anyway so we stayed sort of five days seven days ten days in different locations and we'd just do day trips and then have rest days in between and you know sometimes just my daughter and Andrew would go out somewhere and I would stay at home with my son so that we could just both of him and I could rest and things like that so we just took it really easy and yeah, it was. It was. We saw some amazing things and I had bet, some yeah. beautiful experiences, and we're very naturally focused as well. So, you know, for us to go for a walk up a hill and with a great view, that's that's a good day out. Yeah, and to go to Cradle Mountain, Cradle Mountain National Park, it was amazing, and we struck it on a perfectly sunny day, and it was beautiful. <laughs> So, yeah, it was it was challenging, the thought of going, but I just knew that whatever happened, we only had a certain number of kind of travel days and we got really good at those in the end yeah. of how to pack up and get out whilst all staying sane. <laughs> and <laughs> that you weren't, it wasn't a competition to get out by a certain time. And then we also just... Yeah, I had some really beautiful, simple family experiences. Like one of my favourite times was we we just stopped in at this little beach on the way between the northwest to down near Cradle Mountain of Tasmania. And this beach had the most amazing contrast of, of stones. Like the geology of Tasmania is really cool anyway. But it had all these different types of pebbles and things like that. And so we spent ages just picking our favourite ones. And it just sounds so daft probably. No, it doesn't at all. Like, it was just one of those times where you go, and I remember getting texts from friends and they were so hectic with, you know, preschool Christmas parties and school concerts and, you know, partners had work functions and all of this kind of thing. And I just remember thinking, I'm picking up stones on a beach. Mm. <laughs> and that was just really really cool now and i think sometimes it's those those really quiet unexpected moments that are highlights you know we had something similar on our recent trip to canada we took a detour to um the badlands near drumheller and uh there's these hoodoos that we wanted to to check out and the hoodoos were you know amazing rock formations but there was this entire area beyond there that was this kind of chalky rock and you're able to explore it, uh, you know, to whatever point you wanted to. You know, it's not like in Australia where everything's fenced off. And, you know, that was probably one of my highlights of the entire trip because to watch the kids running through these these chalky rocks and these amazing colours and this big blue sky, it was nothing spectacular, but it was completely mm. spectacular, you know, because yeah. you're able to just be there and, and be in that moment. And I think... Uh, like then then you compare it to what's happening at home where people are rushing around through all these events that we're made to feel like we need to attend and it's just a really interesting contrast I think between mm. you know living a life on external agendas and living a life on our own and while I think the reality is somewhere in between it's really nice to step away from that external agenda kind of life and and just do what feels right for you sometimes 
Absolutely. And just, you know, plotting your own course really yeah. for a period of time. Yeah, I think it's it's so liberating. So when you got home, um, I mean, how how did things change after that? Did you continue to kind of adopt? <laughs> oh, well, we moved. Right. <laughs> so all our stuff was in a box and a mate of ours found us a place. He, we basically were looking on domain, the internet um, real estate site, and found a place. And so he came and checked it out for us and said, yeah, I think, think you guys will be happy there. And so... We signed our life away and uh, as a rental, so it's not really a whole life. And um, basically, we didn't see it until we walked through the front door with the keys and the reverse oh, wow. like, was two hours behind us. <laughs> so, yeah, Dave did well. Um, good job, yeah, Dave. So, yeah, good job, Dave. <laughs> and uh, he's a bit nervous, apparently. But um, no, it's so we've gone from apartment living near the center of the city to living in the suburbs, very quiet beautiful leafy area and we have a three-bedroom house with lawn and a washing line wow things like that so total different lifestyle and um yeah so that's very different as well Mm. i mean that just means that you're able to to live differently anyway i mean take away any other changes that you may have made and Mm. to have that outdoor space and uh, you know, where the kids can play and you can be outside mm. and, and just enjoying that together and, and having, I'm assuming, a little more room in the place. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think you could fit two or three of our apartments okay. into this house. <laughs> <laughs> and I think too, like, because we spend a lot of time at the beach and um, but it's just that ease of mm. walking out the door and not having to have, I mean, you get used to it, but that ease of being able to walk out the door and just go, oh, if we want to drink, we walk back inside. And not having to take the whole the whole kit with you every time you want some outdoor space. It, well, exactly. Yeah, that's mm. that's a huge change. And did, yeah. when you unpacked, did you feel any need to kind of trim your belongings or anything? I know you did say that you're not you're not a big um, like consumer anyway. But had that changed even more? Well, actually, before I got sick, I had. Um, I'd sort of, there was some email that I'd been on that was had decluttering things. So I'd always been quite good at editing because when you live in a two-bedroom apartment and you add extra people, you have to be. Sure, yeah. But I'd actually, of all the nerdy things, I'd signed up for an online decluttering course just before I got sick. And so it was kind of meant to be a six-week course, but I took about three or four months to do it. And that was actually really beneficial because as I was starting to feel better, I knew we were going to have to move at the end of the year. And instead of, it kind of gave me that little thing to focus on because they would say, oh, you know, today you're working on this and I might not do anything else for another week. But it measured as you logged into your little system, it measured your progress. And so I could kind of, it gave me that sort of, I know that this will mean that by the time we come to pack up I don't have to sort it and we'd already agreed that we'd get people in to professionally pack us just because sometimes you have to throw money at a problem to fix it and we just went that's going to make our life heaps easier so that was all cool but um so I actually had decluttered anyway okay and had gone through pretty much everything we owned just tiny step by tiny step and you know well, most of my friends probably would have thought that I didn't need to anyway. But for me, it was just about having, I don't know, 
something measurable. I just needed something measurable with that process. And, uh, you know, some things I just went, oh, cool, I don't even have to do that. You know, I don't have a garage. I don't have to touch that. So Yeah, so you weren't starting from, you know, a huge house full of, you know, um, sentimental items or anything like that. But it's interesting, I think. I mean, I think the vast majority of us, regardless whether we live in a small apartment or a bigger home, you know, you get comfortable with a certain level of stuff, but then if you take yourself through that process and you start to ask questions of what we keep and why we keep them, mm. we, we do find at least some level. I mean, I still go through our, our place probably every six months because yeah. I think with a family and you do you do collect things even as mindfully as you as you allow them in or don't allow them into your house, it does still accumulate over time, particularly with schoolwork and oh, totally. artwork and things like that. So it's um, it's always nice, I think, to, to revisit. And I, I find a lot of people say the same thing, that moving is such a great catalyst for yeah. just really questioning what we're moving around, you know, as we, we move from place to place. So, I think the biggest thing that it was, was clothing that mm. I – when we unpacked, like, so I'd already done a, a good sort before we packed everything into storage, but we still took an entire carload of things to the salvos <laughs> when we moved in. Like, I basically was opening up boxes and I would have filled four or five boxes of things. And now I think we only had about 25 boxes of, you know, and plus furniture. But, um, you know, by the time you you get you just look and go actually I thought I needed that and when you've been on the road for quite a few weeks as well and you've been without your stuff this you know some things you think oh that would be handy but other things you go I don't really need this but I think probably the biggest thing was clothing and I had sort of always loved the concept of a capsule wardrobe and I didn't I don't own as many clothes as a lot of other people but I thought I'd try like the the 333 capsule wardrobe sort of scheme yeah and because I realized I'd basically been living on a capsule wardrobe because you know when I didn't have heaps of maternity clothes the previous summer and then as you're sort of going through that shrinking process afterwards you're not buying lots of clothes you're just wearing what you've got and then because we were going down south for the summer I didn't buy heaps of clothes for the summer because it was going to be cooler and so I realized I'd been just living off a capsule wardrobe for the past year anyway with what fitted and what was seasonally appropriate and that kind of thing. So, yeah, refining that down and being a little bit more strategic with it was really helpful, like looking at people's Pinterest boards and, you know, recommendations on Courtney Carver's website of what she has in her capsule collection. The only thing I found tricky with that is that a lot of them are quite um, monochromatic Mm -hmm. and um, quite, quite sensible sorts of clothing, whereas I do like things that are... A little bit more floral. Right. Got a yeah. bit more colour. Yeah, a lot of people have said that actually, and that's one of the things that turns people off the idea of a capsule wardrobe is that. I just do it with my own yeah, taste. Exactly. That's exactly so, right. You somebody know. might have a beige shirt and, a, and you know, a black pair of shoes, then I've got a floral shirt and a silver pair of shoes. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's, it, there's absolutely no point in doing it if you're going to buy 10 items of clothing that. Like they might look like they work together, but you don't mm. like them or you won't wear them, you know. So I think that's exactly it. If you if you take the time to find what it is that you like, mm. uh, and then I mean, you always feel happy getting dressed in clothes that you actually enjoy wearing, as opposed to clothes that are someone else's sort of deemed capsule wardrobe enough. 
So, yeah. yeah, I think that's absolutely. I, I mean, travel is the great leveler in that term, in that in that way as well. Though I, I found the same thing when we were traveling recently. I packed relatively light. I mean, we had two suitcases between the four of us, uh, and still did not wear more than half of what I took. Yeah, you so, have your favorites though, anyway. That's and it. Combinations that work well, and they're great for the climate and. That's exactly right. So, you know, I came home and the day we arrived home, I took out probably two bags worth of things from my already small wardrobe mm-hmm. because there is just no point in, in holding on to these things if we're not going to use them. And it just makes getting dressed in the morning much easier. And it's, you know, altogether more pleasant when you enjoy how you look. I think so. I think the hard thing is, though, that when you've got little people, you do need slightly more of certain items. Yes. <laughs> get grubby that is true so I did find that like I had one white t-shirt and I was like mm, you need a couple of t-shirts yeah. because you know all it takes is just somebody giving you a little bit of loving before you've managed to wipe the avocado off their fingers <laughs> and you're like all right maybe I should change that or maybe it's not worth it at this time of the day that's it I um I actually graduated from white t-shirts to gray <laughs> I find that that's just practically a lot easier Oh, yeah, that would be smart. I've just, I've just gone back to white because, yeah, that black made me look too old these days. <laughs> when you've been ill, black's not flattering. No, it might wash you out a little. Yeah, totally. So something else that you mentioned, uh, you guys, you enjoy spending a lot of time outdoors as a family, you know, both mm-hmm. at home but also exploring. And I, I mean, I love hearing that because we are very similar. We always make an effort to get outside, either just in the backyard and, you know, play soccer or go for a bushwalk or go for a picnic or something like that. But so often, and this is something that I used to put off for a long time, we'll make time, you know, we say to ourselves, we'll make time for this when everything is done, you know, when the house is mm. clean and when the homework is finished and, and when dinner is prepared and all those things. And I think the reality is that the vast majority of time, that never happens because there's always something to do. And, you know, when you're someone like yourself or, or myself who's always kind of got these expectations of what needs to happen, it can be really difficult to just stop and make that a priority. So how do you guys do that? How do you make time for exploring and being outside? Well, I think we used to – I used to try and do that when um, my daughter was younger and we'd sort of go, oh, well – you know, particularly when she was a baby, you'd think, oh, well, I'll just, she can stay here for the morning sleep and then we'll go out in between or or something like that. And then you just wouldn't by the time she was fed. And then all of a sudden it's four o'clock in the afternoon and you haven't left the house. And uh, so, but then as she got older, we just really got in the habit, particularly in the summer, because we lived near um, uh, one of the beaches in Sydney that's really busy. And so we would just go early. We would get up eat breakfast and literally be at the beach by eight o'clock in the morning because otherwise you couldn't get a park and it just gets too hot and you'd get Mm -hmm. scorched. So we would do our beach time between say eight and nine 30, you know, get a coffee, go for a bit of a stroll afterwards. And then we'd be home by 10, 10 30 in the morning. So we just made that, that the priority and it was purely just weather and parking Mm -hmm. (laughs) that made it heaps easier. But, um, now I just I guess we're still in that habit that if you if you want to do it you just go and do it yeah and um, the morning is always the better time with kids I find to go out and about you know particularly if you've just had breakfast you can maybe pack a sandwich if they're going to want an early lunch but I just find that 
Jobs will keep. That's what I They certainly will. (laughs) They will be there when you get back. And look, the longer you keep them, the more rewarding they are by the time you actually do them because you're like, wow, I've really noticed that. Just need a clean, obviously. (laughs) How shiny that is. But, yeah, I guess it's just that reprioritizing and and realizing that sometimes, you know, you've kind of got a say in how your day is going to be right at the beginning. You but, sometimes don't later in the day with kids. <laughs> you know, that's that's actually a really powerful thing to recognize, though, because I think so often we just get swept up in the mindless to-do that we have set ourselves or that we have told ourselves mm. is our to-do. And, you know, often we we don't sort of stop and realize that we do have a say in how our, our day goes. And these things that are urgent uh, are not actually urgent. You know, the, the laundry will wait and the mopping will wait. And I think it's that reprioritization of the way we spend our mm. time. It, you know, cause the, way, <laughs> the way we spend our days is the way we spend our lives. And, mm. you know, I know that that is an oversimplification of it, but if we don't stop and make time for the things that do matter and that, do, that we do enjoy, I think days and weeks and months go by and we realize that we haven't been for a bushwalk since, you know, the yeah. beginning of the year or we haven't been to the beach. And, uh, you know, I there's obviously times where we need to just knuckle down and get work done, but there are so many times that we can just stop and make room for the, the things that are important. Yeah, totally. And yeah. I think too, realising that actually people don't really care how tidy your house is. No. I've re- I discovered that. It was quite a news flash to me actually. Yeah. <laughs> because when I was sick and I just couldn't do it, and friends would come over and they didn't care and – they even commented that it was actually, you know, because a couple of times um, I make it a policy never to apologize about the state of my house, but I did perhaps mention you'll just have to take me as you find me. And <laughs> one of my girlfriends just going, you know what? Your house is always being like ridiculously tidy. And she said it's actually refreshing to see it look like a home mm-hmm. and to look like, you know, not a show home. Mm. And I think that sort of realisation as well, that it actually, the effect that your standards can have on other people and feeling like they have to tidy up before you come over as well. And That's really, really interesting, want, yeah. I really didn't want other people to feel like having, because my house was really tidy, that they had to make theirs really tidy because I never looked at it that way. It's just for me, I guess, the realisation now is that I like clear surfaces, so the mm-hmm. reason I don't own too many things or I I just like what's pretty out on display. Mm-hmm. So if I've got 10 minutes, I'll tidy up and put things away rather than clean now because... I mean, that's perfect alignment, isn't it? Like you, you understand that that's what you like to look at. That's how you feel at ease in your home. So that's, you know, the way that you... Like you minimize the stuff that you own so that you can continue to enjoy it in that way. And I think that's just a really simple and obvious way that you're living in alignment with with what it is that that you want from your home which I think is is fantastic I mean mean, I'm a very yeah I'm a very visual person so having things look aesthetically pleasing and you know things that I enjoy looking at and space between my things you know that makes sense to me it's it's like when I've got lots of planning or organizing to do I need a big sheet of paper and some colored textures because that's how my brain works. It likes the big picture and it needs space and clarity to do that. So I guess I've just realized that what I've always known about the way I learn and the way I plan 
also goes for the way I live. Mm. I love the idea of white space, though. I think, uh, you know, so much of slowing down is white space. It's, it's, you know, taking things away and giving ourselves that white space, both physically in terms of the stuff that we own, sure, but also in the way we live our day and the way mm. we structure our schedule and our calendar. You know, we, we all have a, a finite amount of time in every day, but it doesn't mean that it all needs to be full. You know, I yeah. think, and I, I, if ever we have a weekend where there's you know, a number of birthday parties or a social event and something else, and, you know, I always find myself uh, feeling a bit frazzled when I don't have the white space that, that we so, so try to, to build into our days. And do you feel like the, you're the same in terms of your schedule and your calendar? Do you like to keep white space and a buffer, I guess? Yeah, definitely. And I've, I mean, I think my daughter's at an age now being at school that she's a little bit more savvy with things, but I have in the past because, you know, often the parents would be given the invites and things like that. I just politely decline mm-hmm. because it was just not going to be, you know, the weekend would be too full and she didn't know the difference anyway. So. Yeah, that was that was um, my go-to move in preschool. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> School's a little there. different. School I'm yeah, finding yeah, is, all, is different. Yeah, they're all over it there, aren't they? Aren't they just? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they know what's going on. But um, I think too, it's I had a really dear friend who's in his 70s and he's been a, a professional mentor of mine and then became a, just a family friend of ours and he said to me soon after we'd moved here and he came to visit and he said how is it and I said it's spookily different like mm. I live in the burbs and I guess that makes me a suburban housewife which is just not quite where I'd expected to be and he just turned to me and he goes oh no no living here suits you and I'm like it's I'm finding it quite challenging and he just said, no, it suits you. I've known you for a long time and I respected where you chose to live and I get that it was convenient and you liked being near the beach. But he said, it didn't suit you and it didn't suit your ethos and it didn't suit, you know, what I know you're passionate about. And he said, you're passionate about the outdoors and nature and, you know, I'm trained as an environmentalist as well. And and he said, this is, this is more you. And it was just that that kind of confirmation from someone that knew me really well and knew what I was passionate about to go now this is the right place isn't that interesting when sometimes we don't see the reality of ourselves I I had someone say a different set of circumstances but point out what look looking back was actually very obvious about something that was making me incredibly unhappy uh, as opposed to something that was making me light up and she said when you speak about this thing you change, you light up, you embody it, you embody it, you know, and sometimes I think it's, it's really nice to hear someone just point that out to us and and give us that recognition, you know? Um, So as an environmentalist, does that play into your, your ethos to not own a lot of stuff and to obviously spend a lot of time outdoors and to, to kind of live a slower pace of life? Well, I was I was probably living a slow life, but fast, if that makes yep. any sense. No, that makes so sense. So I was, you know, packing heaps into my day, but in terms of, you know, as I've got more into, as I said in the beginning, I didn't know about slow living. So basically it came from buying a book when I was in Hobart. And I saw this book and it was called Keep It Simple. And it was just a really nice kind of interior decorating book. And I bought it with my Christmas money and I went, great. And I 
didn't have the book with me and I was busy trying to get my son to sleep in the middle of the night. I was trying to get him to sleep through and the book was upstairs and I thought, oh, I wonder if I could just read a little review of it. So I was sneakily trying to read on my phone as I was doing the pet comfort business, you know, as you do. And um, I just found, I was trying to find a review for the book and I found your podcast. I was like, wow. And this is at like four o'clock in the morning. And I was staying in the Fresenay National Park. So, you know, and I just was like, wow, there's people that choose to live slowly. How unique. (laughs) So I started listening and I went, oh, my goodness, this is a choice. And then as I started listening to all the different aspects of slow living, I went, wow, no, being a conscious consumer is a huge part of who I am and spending time outdoors and my husband and I, for as long as I can remember, have always given each other experiences over things because we'd often be traveling over the summer and that was just easier and, you know, you could justify staying in a nice hotel together or going to a spa or going diving or, you know, I've given them hang gliding trips and we've landed on glaciers and all sorts of things in the duration of our relationship that are really cool experiences and so, yeah, when I started listening, I went, okay, this, this, is, a, this is a lifestyle choice. And I guess that re- realization early on is that this is people making a lifestyle choice. It's not a destination. It's not sort of a tick the box as you've made it. Mm. It really is a way of living. And, yeah, I guess it's the healthy eating version as opposed to fad diets really you know what I mean absolutely yeah that's it and I think that's a a trap that so many of us fall into when we first discover this kind of way of living we want to do all the things and make all the changes and just get to the destination of you know hashtag slow living Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's not I've yet to find anyone or, or speak with anyone who's just got it nailed every day you know it's it's a it's a constant um process of 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 shifting priorities and you know renegotiating and 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 finding clarity on what it is that we're looking for but also you know these changes take a huge amount of time to really stick Mm. as well you know and you speak with people who have been at it for decades and they're still making changes and it's absolutely yeah it's it's absolutely a lifestyle rather than you know, a, a, like you say, a fad diet version of lifestyle. It's, uh, yeah, that's a really nice way of putting it. I like that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but I think also, too, it was a case of realizing once I sort of got into things of going, oh, okay, so from our consumption point of view, that has always been really, really conscious and that, you know, I always would look at things and go, well, what is the sustainability side of this? You know, is it a recycled material? Is it, you know, I'd look at the life cycle of a product. So what can it be used for after its first purpose? Can it be repurposed into something else? Can other parts recyclable? Is it locally made? You know, is it something that is made ethically? So there was kind of a hierarchy in my own mind of things that we did buy, particularly big purchases as well. Mm. And, uh, so that, that had been important to me. I think I was first studying environmental science when the story of stuff came out and uh, that that just really stuck with me all those years ago. Yeah. And so it's it's been something that we've always lived by. But I think coming from where I've come from as well, when the you know, you've got such a beautiful natural environment in the South Island of New Zealand, right on your footsteps on your doorstep, sorry, you you just have that appreciation and you want to do whatever you can to protect it and and it's not just um, 
there to be appreciated, there's actually, you've got to put an effort in as well. Which I think is another really beautiful part of, of living a life where you, you spend a lot of time outdoors in nature with your kids because they get to recognize that from a young age and mm. value it, you know. And I've had a lot of conversations, particularly with our daughter, about, uh, you know, the environment and things like that. And if she talks about buying certain crappy plastic toys, oh. you know, I, I talk to her about it and explain the impact that those kinds of things can have on the environment. And when yeah. she has a point of reference, when they've seen beautiful landscapes and they've, you know, camped in in the outback in Australia and they've been to the Rocky Mountains and, you know, like they, they really appreciate the beauty of, of nature, mm. they have a point of reference and, and that I mean, I'm not necessarily forcing them to be passionate environmentalists, but they, they understand it and they, they have ownership of it. And, you know, we can do things to, to lessen our impact on it. I think that's one other benefit of spending time outdoors with your family that, that probably doesn't get spoken about as much, but I really i am a big believer in it. Yeah. Look, if you've got no experience and no connection with it, why would you care? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's kind of where I come from is that, if they don't have those experiences, if they don't see the purpose for it, and, and it doesn't have to be an amazing location. You know, we've obviously had the privilege of spending time in some really beautiful, amazing natural locations. But it doesn't have to. It can be a park. It can yeah. be a flower that you're walking past on the way to school. It can just be, you know, growing some seeds in a pot. And I guess that that's, yeah, I just, I just hope I don't, whatever my children end up doing, you know, as long as they're passionate about it. But mm. to have that appreciation for the natural world because it's uh, it's just really important to me. So I guess things that are important to you, you'd like your kids to have some sort of, you know, interest in. Yeah, and I think that it goes back to the whole idea of kind of not necessarily telling them but showing them, yeah. uh, you know, which is – something I think that you're obviously doing in the way that you're choosing to live and the experiences mm. that your kids are having. But I think they, they remember what you show them and what you do with them rather than what you tell them. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, but I think – sorry. Oh, sorry. No, you go, go ahead. Uh, and one of the things you'd asked me about before we spoke was um, things that I find challenging Yeah. about the slow living. And I think, yeah, food – I think it's a really hard thing with kids to make simple, like just making, you know, the whole food, cooking, eating. I mean, if there was some magical formula to get them to eat it, that would be cool too. But, yeah, just, <laughs> you know, I think that's probably where, where I'm at in terms of that finding a, a simplicity with food. Right. Yeah, I mean, my kids, um, how do I say this nicely? <laughs> they, they're actually improving the breadth um, of mm. the foods that they eat now. They're seven and five. They've yeah. always been quite um, fussy up until this sort of past six months, I'd say, which is a wonderful change. But it can be really difficult. I mean, the last thing I wanted to be doing was cooking multiple meals every night. Mm. And I just sort of made that a rule for myself that I wouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And, I mean, everyone else in my family eats meat. I don't eat meat. But uh, so – I kind of have to be flexible and, and think outside the box anyway in terms of finding a simplicity with it that doesn't have me in the kitchen for two hours a day because I yeah. have no desire or no time for that. Um, you know, so it's kind of – I'll often cook for myself like a 
what is essentially like the main part of my meal. So I might saute up a whole big bunch of mushrooms or do a lentil chili or something like that. And that would do me for my main meal for three or four nights. And then I honestly, my kids and probably eat a rotation of four or five different kind of proteins and and then yeah and you know that is slowly slowly expanding yeah you kind of have that repertoire of what you know is going to work you feel it's got a reasonable nutritional balance yeah and that it's it's you know you're going to be able to kick it through the goal exactly you know and I try to not make food like a power issue with kids because it can very easily be you know so it's um yeah, I, I, f- I feel you on that. And I think it's the age of the kids can be can mm-hmm. be difficult. And, um, you know, I know some people have children who just are happy to eat anything and everything, which is awesome. Um, uh, I thought those children were like unicorns. Yeah, I haven't met just- one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do get – whenever I speak about kids and food on the podcast, I always get some really lovely emails from people to- talking about their kids who have really – varied palette which is wonderful um but yeah it's it can be really difficult I I try and make ahead as much as possible and I just meal plan and Mm. have pretty much given ourselves over to the fact that we won't be eating maybe the tastiest food for for a few years but providing everyone eats their veggies I'm I'm fine (laughs) yeah I think that's that's exactly where we're at so it's reassuring to know that that's rather normal I think look in my experience it's normal I I may be wrong (laughs) (laughs) you and I both agree that's right that's right we have consensus (laughs) we are correct (laughs) it's officially normal um and the other I had just had another question and I don't know whether you've had other people speak about it in the past or whether it's a discussion that happens on social media or not. But that whole when you are slowing things down and you do have to say no to things and so, you know, you're not maybe not able to be as social as you would like Mm -hmm. to be, I think that's probably been one of my biggest challenges is, you know, just finding a sense of resolution with that and, and not feeling like I'm not seeing people enough that I'd like to be seeing because, that's you know going to busy my week up more and that sort of thing yeah I mean that's it's something I do get asked quite a lot uh and my my answer is always colored by the fact that I'm not a super social person anyway I mean I've I'm I've always enjoyed kind of quiet downtime so uh we don't have huge circle of friends or anything like that and most of our friends are in similar situations as us with young families so when Mm. we do get together it's it's not all the time um what i have found though is by saying no to other things more frequently or by you know letting my commitment to those things run their course and then not recommitting uh i find that my time has slowly become freer and it's more our own um, and that means that when someone knocks on the door and they're wanting to come in for a cup of tea, that's perfectly fine because it's not the only downtime that I have all week. Yeah. Uh, you know, if someone gives us a call and says, you keen to have a barbecue? Sure. You know, because the house is in a reasonable state and I've dropped my standards to a point where even <laughs> if, you know, I haven't done the cleaning for the week, it's, it's fine. Like it's so fine. Like you were saying, that's going to be there afterwards. So I think mm. for me, it's been a combination of, uh, sort of dropping back from those other things, um, 
that that weren't important at all and I was just doing them because they were someone else's agenda and then finding that balance between having done enough to feel like I could just drop things and and go for a coffee Mm. or go to the park or, you know, invite our friends in and and enjoy the afternoon together and have some beers on the deck Um, that, that I find kind of the happy medium. Yeah. But I think when, when particularly if you've been a really social person and you, you know that saying no is what you need for the time being, or you need that extra white space in your day, it can be really challenging. And I think I've actually been asked a lot about the impact that has on people's relationships too. You know, they find that they're losing mm. they're losing connection with, with some of their friends. Uh, yeah, look, I must admit when I got sick that definitely happened yeah. with a couple of people. But I think then other connections were made stronger because I just would talk to people on the phone and I was really far more honest than I probably would have previously been about how I was feeling. And so that level of... Uh, being real, as people say, mm. made, um, made a difference. And I think that's just indicative of being at a different point as well. You know, sometimes relationships aren't going to last through those changes mm. and those shifts, and that's fine. That, that's no one's fault. You know, I think to kind of try and remove any idea of blame or or, mm. or a falling out or anything from it, it could just be the way that your paths diverge or, you know, and they could come back some point later or they, they may not. And... You know, I think some friends are around for, for good, like they're, they're lifers, and others are, are around for a season. Yeah, my mum always talks about a reason, a season, or a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, exactly. that identification. But I do think the white space on the social calendar, that's probably been one of the biggest challenges mm. for me. Yeah, no, and it definitely is. I think it's a big change, and, and even just having to say no as well can be really confronting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have been such a lovely guest. Thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, thanks for having me, Brooke. No, it was uh, it was my pleasure. I mean, I think we could have we could have chatted about your story for a long time. Um, there's lots of uh, lots of commonalities there, but I think uh, yeah, this has been wonderful. Thank you. I'm just I'm so grateful. Honestly, it's just been so reassuring. been another episode of the slow home podcast if you enjoyed it be sure to subscribe via itunes and leave us a rating or a review thanks for listening jack rabbit fm for your ears who is that hi podcast